So all year we've been focusing on learning the way of Jesus, and today we're continuing a sermon series, and will for the next couple weeks through the end of June, on the life of the Apostle Paul. And we've used this as a case study for learning the way of Jesus. Now, one of the things about the way of Jesus, and we've tried to make this abundantly clear throughout the last year, is that the way of Jesus is totally different than the ways of the world, or even the ways of our lives before Jesus, apart from Christ. So when you follow this different way, this unique way of Jesus, all kinds of things change in your life. But honestly, as a Christian, have you ever felt stuck Have you ever felt like there was something in your life that just seemed to hang over your head? A a struggle, an issue, a doubt. As, As a Christian, and I would say even as a pastor, I've had issues, I've had struggles, I've had doubts that took, some of which took years to work through before I was able to see real change in my life. And sometimes, just to be honest again, and a little vulnerable, I felt embarrassed about those things, ashamed, sometimes defeated. But then, in God's timing, and by his grace, I was able to see change and experience more of the fruit of the Spirit, more of the freedom that is offered in Christ, more joy as a child of God. But I'm just asking you this morning, what's up with that? Why is that how it works? Is that how it works for everybody? Because on the one hand, following the way of Jesus seems to change some things right away. But then, on the other hand, other things seem to take forever. Now, I've talked with many people Maybe too many people over the years, but I've talked to many people and many of you, and I've heard you share something similar. This sh- a sharing of that same, maybe embarrassing, maybe perplexing experience. Have you ever felt stuck in your life? Well, we say it all the time, and really my big idea today is that Jesus changes everything. But today we'll see how. And it is so important to understand how the process of change happens in order to understand what God is doing in our lives today. Are you with me? Okay, let's jump into the Bible. If you have a Bible or Bible app, please take it and open it to Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Acts 19, starting with verse 1. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. But uh, if you're using an analog Bible made out of paper. You can always go back to the beginning. There's a table of contents in there. If you're not sure where the book of Acts is or any book in the Bible, you can easily look it up there. Uh, but as we, today, as we'll join the Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus. And in this story, we're gonna unpack this in three parts. And these three parts reveal the three essential elements for experiencing real life change in Christ. First, the gospel. Second, 
discipleship, and third, spiritual power. So first, the need for the truth of the gospel. Please look at Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Okay, let's stop here. So, let's review, okay? What have we been saying throughout this series? We've been saying that the Apostle Paul was born Saul of Tarsus, and he was a brilliant young Jewish man who, who was a violent persecutor of the Christian church in, at, in the earliest days of the Christian church. He was a violent persecutor until he met Jesus, and he became a Christian, which changed everything in Paul's life. By his early 40s, he was a leader in the influential church in Antioch, but then God called him out. So the church sent him out as a missionary uh, to bring the gospel to other people in other places around the Roman Empire. Now, for the last few weeks in our series, we've seen a couple examples of his ministry uh, traveling around as a missionary. We, we were in Philippi two weeks ago, then we were in Athens, Greece last week, and today we're in Ephesus. Now, if you miss any of the sermons in the series, you can always go back and watch online or through the church app or listen to the audio podcast if you'd like. Uh, but today we're considering Paul's ministry in one last city of his missionary journeys. And this is arguably the city that was the most successful, the most fruitful for Paul in all of his career. And that is this great city of Ephesus. So if we look at a map, uh, we can see Ephesus is located in the modern country of Turkey. For the last few weeks, we saw he started in Philippi, went down to Athens, Corinth, and eventually ended up in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the largest cities in their day in the whole Roman Empire. It was one of the preeminent places to be in the first century AD. There were around 250,000 people in Ephesus, which at the time was an enormous city. Ephesus was, as a result, very wealthy and extremely influential in the whole region. They had a, a theater there, you can go and see the ruins to this day, that could hold up to 25,000 people. Just think of that. No mics, no sound system, okay? That's incredible. Well, just as the goddess Athena was closely linked to the city of Athens in Greece, in the same way the goddess Artemis was closely linked to the city of Ephesus. In fact, the great temple of Artemis in Ephesus, the largest building in the Greek world, was so impressive that it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, here where Paul was. So in that day, Ephesus represented the, all of the power and all of the influence of Greek culture and of the Roman Empire. 
Artemis was their goddess. Caesar was their lord. Now Luke writes here that while Apollos, we'll mention who he is in a second, was in Corinth in Greece, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Now we skipped over a pretty big chunk of Paul's life to go from Athens to Ephesus from last week to this week. But that's okay. Paul had spent about a year and a half in the city of Corinth, a long time compared to some of the other cities that he traveled to. And in Corinth, in Greece, he met a Jewish couple named Priscilla and Aquila, who were also tent makers, just like Paul was uh, by trade. And they were Jews, and they accepted the gospel, and they became Christians. They became co-workers, in fact, of Paul, and eventually hosted a a church in their home. When Paul left Corinth, they sailed with him. Priscilla and Aquila sailed with him to Ephesus. And they stayed in Ephesus while Paul continued to bounce around. He went up to Jerusalem, and then he went north through Antioch, and then over west through Galatia before traveling through the interior of what we would call the country of Turkey to the western city of Ephesus. Okay, walking. All right, this is a long period of time. This is hard hard work. Well, in the meantime, while Paul was doing all of that, reconnecting with with all kinds of churches that he had planted earlier in his life, in the meantime, there was this man named Apollos, who was, he was a powerful speaker. Now, there's some questions of whether or not Paul, though he is mighty in writing, was very mighty in person. He may not have had the kind of classical uh, training in rhetoric that some of the other sort of professional speakers had at the time. He had a simple message, and it was about Jesus and his resurrection. And then he had this incredible demonstration, as we've seen through this series of spiritual power. But that was basically it. So it's possible that Apollos was a much better speaker than Paul. At any rate, he was a powerful speaker. He was a bold man of faith, but he had a problem. He didn't know the full story of the gospel. He only had a partial understanding of the truth of what God was doing, the new work that God was doing in the world in this day. And he had heard about John the Baptist. So when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos' teaching, they took him aside and privately taught him, instructed him in the fullness of the person and work of Jesus. So once receiving their teaching, Apollos then decided to travel to Corinth. So Apollos left for Corinth, and Paul finally makes it back to Ephesus. Luke writes that Paul encounters 12 disciples who only had a partial understanding of the gospel. Did these uh, disciples, were they disciples of Apollos, perhaps? I think that's likely. But they only, just like Apollos, had a partial understanding of the truth of God's word. They knew of John the Baptist. They knew of his baptism of repentance, but they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They didn't know about, presumably, the resurrection of the dead, the day of Pentecost, all of the things that God had been doing since the ministry of John the Baptist. Well, that's kind of a big gap in their understanding of the faith, right? Well, it's interesting to me that Luke intentionally points out that there were about 12 of them. Okay, the number of 12 is a big number in the Bible. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12, uh, the 12 apostles that Jesus called to follow him. Now here there's another 12. And I think that Luke is saying, Paul here is simply doing what Jesus did. 
These 12 disciples are intended to remind us of Jesus's own ministry and his own calling people to follow him and then teach them and model for them this new way of life. So here, Luke is saying in Ephesus, essentially Paul's doing the same thing. He's teaching people who need more information about who God is, about what God has done through his son and spirit, and how they might respond to him in obedient faith, how they might follow the way of Jesus in their regular lives. And the result was an echo of the day of Pentecost. It was like a new micro-Pentecost. These 12 had a physical manifestation of God's presence and power in the spirit. So in the story of Apollos, or, or in the account here of the 12, and of course in Paul's own story, we know, we see that in order to fully experience the life of God, in order to fully participate in the mission, in the work that God is doing in the world today, people need the gospel. People need the full story of the person and work of Jesus. Now it's a good start, if, if you find someone who wants to repent or turn from their sins, which is that, that's what the baptism of John was all about. It was a baptism of repentance. But John was only preparing the way for Jesus. And so people need to know what God has done in Christ to forgive the sins of the world and to live by the Spirit. So it's good to have a sense of 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 your own need. It's, a, it's good to have a sense of spiritual need, but in Christ, God fulfills that need. And it's only by faithful teaching, preaching, instruction, that people hear the fullness of the good news of God, the whole counsel of God. And this teaching, it, it might happen in a public forum similar to what Paul was doing in the marketplace in Athens that we looked at last week, or what I'm doing right now. Or it could happen in a private setting, in a personal setting, more like how Priscilla and Aquila pulled Apollos aside and explained to him the fullness of the gospel. Now, a modern example of that might be you explaining in greater detail who Jesus is over coffee with a friend or in a community group here at church. Either way, the first essential element that people need to experience real and lasting life change is the gospel. They need to know about the person and work of Jesus. Second, discipleship. Let's continue with verse eight. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly, of course, there for about three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Whoa. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Okay, let's pause here. Now, 
I have been thinking long and hard about why Paul's ministry in Ephesus seems like it was so much more successful or fruitful than in other places. I mean, it wasn't like he was a different guy. You know, when he stands up and he speaks boldly. Okay, is that the first time we've seen that? No. From the beginning, that's who Paul is. So it wasn't, he wasn't a different guy, and he didn't have a different message. He's still talking to everybody about Jesus. As we saw last week, the content of the gospel doesn't change even when the context does. And of course, God can do whatever he wants to do anywhere and at any time. So maybe this was just God's, just an unexpected outpouring of grace like we saw all the way back in the city of Antioch. But I think there are a few clues in the text here as to why Paul had such an outsized impact here in Ephesus. First, there's the time that Paul stayed here. He stayed in Ephesus for two to three years, which is way more time, and in many cases, a lot more time than anywhere else that he stayed in his missionary journeys. He started out the same way that he does everywhere with the Jewish synagogue uh, before taking his message to the Gentiles in Ephesus, but Paul is able to use, or perhaps he rented, a lecture hall, a space, a meeting space, in order to meet with his disciples every day. They met and they had discussions, Luke says, and no doubt Paul showed them how Jesus had to die and rise again, according to the scriptures. Would have been a deep Bible study, day after day. But Paul also was able to show them with this time together this new way of life, a new, the new way of Jesus, the way. And that way would shape their lives. It would change their identity, their idols, their relationships, their sexuality, their money, in every other aspect of life. So Paul here had plenty of time to teach them, both to teach them instruction and to model for them what this new way of life looked like. And with all that time focusing on discipleship, I believe that that enabled Paul to have way more influence here in Ephesus. And then the disciples started carrying on the work of discipleship too. It didn't just stop, stop with Paul. Luke writes, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks, in other words, everybody, who lived in the province of Asia, in the whole region, heard the word of the Lord. Now, this is incredible. Can you imagine if people could say this about our church? The result of our ministry was that everybody in the whole region of northeastern Wisconsin heard the word of the Lord. That would be incredible. The message of the gospel and this new way of life, the way of Jesus, started radiating out from Ephesus to impact the whole region. And one example of this is a man named Epaphras who Paul discipled and who was sent out from Ephesus to plant the church in Colossae. Now later, Paul would write his letter to the Colossians, but he had not started that church. That church was planted as a result of one of his disciples in Ephesus being sent out to bring the gospel elsewhere. And no doubt, there were many other stories like that happening all throughout this time that we just don't know about, 
because the result was the whole region heard about Jesus. After Paul left Ephesus, Timothy, one of his closest friends, his son in the faith, as he calls him, and one of his dearest disciples, stayed in Ephesus to minister there. And later, according to church tradition, the apostle John wound up ministering in Ephesus at the end of his life. But for at least two, two years, as Luke says, everybody heard about Jesus, and the power of the Spirit was evident through the ministry of Paul. Now this was another, just another echo of the ministry of Jesus happening with Paul. Miracles were happening. And just as in the ministry of Jesus, the miracles of Paul were signs which validated the message of the gospel. So first, people need the truth of the gospel. They need to understand the, more fully who God is and what he has accomplished in his son and spirit. But secondly, people need men and women to disciple them, to model the life of Jesus, to look to and learn from how to follow Jesus in their homes, in their lives, in their workplaces, in schools, and in every aspect of life. People need the truth, but people need help. Real life change, as we see in this next section, it requires the truth, and it requires the work of discipleship. But real life change isn't only about what you know or who you follow. Third and finally, real life change requires spiritual power. Look at verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits do you have questions? I have some questions, okay? Uh, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. <laughs> you think? Now many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, about $10 million. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, I just love the Bible. I love this particular part of the Bible, the story of the seven sons of Siva. Okay, the name of Jesus must never be used like a magic spell or incantation. And if you try it, you try it at your own risk. Okay, but here, as a result of this interesting spiritual uh, confrontation, the name of Jesus was only held in higher honor. God used this strange experience for his glory. So people recognized the spiritual power that was not just in using the name of Jesus, but was actually in the risen person of Jesus. So the result of this is that people saw that there was a new source of real spiritual power at their disposal. And so as a result, they took the magic texts, 
which contained spells and different incantations that they had used in their pagan worship, they, they took those and saw that they had no comparable power compared to the spiritual power of Jesus and the works that were done in his name. And so many of these new Christians in Ephesus had confessed their sinful practices of sorcery and, and they realized the lack of power that these documents had and so they burned their scrolls. And this was no small gesture. These scrolls were worth millions of dollars. Eventually, so many people in this region turned from pagan worship, from Artemis as their goddess and Caesar as Lord, to worshiping Jesus as both God and Lord, that it had an actual economic impact in Ephesus to the point that later it caused a riot. But none of this would have been possible if Christianity was simply a new philosophy of man or even a, a new way of life only. Throughout this passage, we see evidence that God is at work that the spirit of the living God is saving people and healing people and freeing people from all kinds of things which are holding them in bondage. The gospel is only good news because God is alive and is active in the world that he has made. We need the truth, first of all. We need the gospel and a full understanding of what that is. Second, we need people to help us to learn the way of Jesus. We need the work of discipleship. But third, at the end of the day, we would still be lost without the saving grace of God and his powerful presence in our lives. So it is God who gets the glory. Not us, not even Paul. It is God who gets the honor and the praise for it is his spiritual power that brings real and lasting change in our lives. And all of this leads up to our big idea today, which is this. Jesus changes everything. Now we say it all the time, but it really is true. Jesus changes everything. The result of Paul's time in Ephesus is clear. It resulted in the dramatic change of the whole region of people. So much changed. After two to three years of gospel preaching and discipleship, consistent daily discipleship and spiritual power, their city had been changed. Their worship had been changed. Their way of life had been changed. Even their economy had changed. They experienced a total disruption in the best way possible. But how did they experience this change? Well, we've seen. We've seen how. We've seen how they experienced this transformative work. We've seen how these people became unstuck and overcame the issues and the struggles in their lives. It was through the truth of God's word centered on the gospel of Jesus. And it was through by engaging regular, active, ongoing, daily discipleship of looking to people to learn from them, to model for them the way of following Jesus and helping other people do the same. And we've seen that they received the spiritual power of God according to God's wisdom and his timing. 
This is how it worked in Ephesus, and this is how it has always worked, friends. This is how it works for us today. This is how we can see change. This is how we can experience more of the fruit of the Spirit and more of the freedom offered in Christ and more joy as children of God. So discipleship is the process of learning the way of Jesus and helping others do the same. And this process seems slow. Now remember, Paul spent day after day, every day, with these disciples over years of time and still had to write back to them to remind them of some of the things that were true. But as the people of God grew in their knowledge of the truth and they grew in the faith, their faith in Jesus and obedience to his way, it eventually results in real spiritual power. Power to heal. Power to set people free from bondage. Power over every other power in this dark world. And what happens then? Well, darkness is overcome by light. Goodness wins over evil. And all of this is to the glory of God as people grow in fear, in the fear of the Lord and in faith in the name of Jesus. Now today, I would guess that every single one of us has changes that we would like to see God produce in our lives. But also, we are surrounded by people everywhere who need the same transformative work of God in their lives that we desire as well. And that is why our vision as a church is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will transform the people of the city in every way. We long to see that happen, not only in our lives, but in everybody's lives. Well, how do we do this? Well, just like Jesus, and just like Paul, and just like Priscilla, and Aquila, and many others, down through the generations, all the way to us here and now, we must make it our appeal to people to follow Jesus. And we appeal to people by our love for them, by our conduct around them, by our words to them, especially about Jesus. And in this appeal, the Lord uses this to draw others to himself and to change them over time by the working of his spirit in their lives. But he also does this work simultaneously in our lives drawing us to himself even as we point others to Christ. God draws us to himself. He draws us to his grace and truth and to his holiness and, and to be united together as his body. He draws us together in wisdom and toward the men and women that he intends us to be. This is a slow work at times and not one of us has fully arrived yet. But don't give up and don't lose hope because God has promised to finish what he has started in your life in Christ. You will not remain the same if you follow the way of Jesus. Everything changes because Jesus changes everything.
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we hold out our hands to you and in this way offer you our lives. Lord Jesus, if there is something in our lives that needs to change, we release control of that to you. We invite your Holy Spirit to fill us and to cleanse us and to do his work of healing and freeing and saving. Holy Spirit, would you bring things to our minds that need to change? And Holy Spirit, would you help us to have the faith and the hope to see that we, that change is possible even in the areas that we've struggled with for years and years. And Lord Jesus, the change that you bring about in our lives, I pray that you would help us to use that, not just for our gain, but as a way to lead others in your beautiful way, in your powerful way, in your way of life. And so, Lord, would many people be changed. Would many people be transformed in this, not just this church and not just in this city, but in this whole region, Lord, for your glory and for our joy and for the good of all people. We pray in Jesus' name.